Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with candid conversations about cyber and tech-related issues with your host, Kath Nibbs. Do you know your GDPR from your ISO? Is your business cyber secure? If not, give agency a call on 03455 760 999. You can visit their website at www.theagency.com. An agency is with an I, not a Y. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode. Uh, This week, I've got a shorter episode uh, because I've put two together. So uh, the one that will follow this will also be along the same lines. It's back to uh, cyber stuff, but this time mainly around cybercrime. Today's episode is with uh, somebody called Jerry, who I met at the National Police uh, Cybercrime uh, Conference where I was presenting. And um, I decided to ask Jerry to come on um, more so so you can hear it from the horse's mouth if you like. Um, So Jerry works for the National Fraud Intelligence Bureau as part of Action Fraud and what we actually did today was we had uh, quite a succinct conversation about um, not really that if you're going to get hacked, the the likelihood of when or how Um, and this episode kind of uh, Jerry explains why, why we need to really really protect our computers, why we need to have good email passwords, why we need to make sure that should something happen that we report it and that we kind of help the police gain many many more statistics uh, so that they can actually see how crime is committed. Um, Because of the nature of this episode Jerry and I had to have a conversation about what we could and couldn't say in terms of crime and how the police work. Obviously, I have a bit more of an understanding than we actually got to put out in this episode. Um, But if you are really interested in those kind of conversations, go back and listen to some of the episodes that I've done with Justin with Tassos, with Gary Hibbard, with um, Reza, all the way back at the very, very beginning of um, uh, the podcast, because these are the people who work in and around cybersecurity, cybercrime. And what we're actually doing today is explaining what can happen if your email gets hacked. Um, So in the words of Gary Hibbard, um, you know, as Jerry explained, if somebody hacks your email, they own you. Uh, We're not making this stuff up. So this week is about um, how you can be hacked. And the next episode will be, and now what What do you do if you find yourself uh, being hacked? So as always, thank you very much for the comments that are coming in on uh, DMs. I'm really, really enjoying speaking to people outside of the podcast. Um, if you've got something to ask or you'd like me to do a particular episode, please you know, feel free to find me on Twitter at Nibsy. Um, I'm on Instagram at Nibsy underscore 5.0 and on not really Facebook because that's kind of something I do for myself but you can also follow me on LinkedIn and you know hopefully we can connect over there and have many more conversations so be well and I shall see you next time. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week I'm joined by Jerry and he works at the National Fraud Intelligence Bureau uh, at Action Fraud so this is the cybercrime desk so um, first of all what I'm going to do is is say welcome Jerry um, after our Slight, slight hiccups to begin with this morning and for once I'm going to claim it is not at my end so my podcast is uh, becoming known for having glitches um so 
first of all, yeah, why why do you do what you do, and what is it that you do? Um, so it's easy to start with what I do. Um, I'm the analyst on the cybercrime desk at the National Fraud Intelligence Bureau, and we're the the law enforcement body who deals mm-hmm. with um, all the actual fraud reports that are made by the public or business. Um, yep. When those reports are made in, we're the ones who will look at them, we'll decide what's actually happened, uh, we'll look for lines of investigation, so whether or not there's a suspect, um, we'll do some inquiries around um, the information we get in before we'll send out our, sort of, they'll be for pursue or protect out to the local the police forces to actually conduct the full-on investigation. Yeah. Um, so why I do it, it's... Um, it sort of fell into the area. Um, I never really did anything previously with cybersecurity, but I, um, my background is in psychology and then moved into the world of online um, sort of mob reaction, sort of trolling and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then sort of moved into victimization and sort of that led me into cybercrime. Um, that led me into working for law enforcement. So here I am now, um, sort of being able to oversee all, all the cybercrime sort of victims and reports coming in on sort of mm. a daily basis to analyse them all. Yeah, so uh, actually quite quite similar um, in terms of uh, the route that I've taken in terms of what I'm doing. So mm. I'm just about I, I did a psychology undergrad, trying to move away from computers and technology because that's my background, and ended up full circle back in um, working yeah. with children and all of the kind of issues. So. One of the things I wanted, uh, as I said to you before we started recording, one of the things that I'm I'm really um, keen to get across on these podcast interviews, particularly for uh, my profession, is around um, you know why why we need to understand cybersecurity, but also why cybercrime is such an issue. So, I I can say with the the work that I do and the background that I have, I understand exactly what cybercrime issues are. How, yeah how broad they are and I'm, I'm just thinking about if I was a member of the public regardless of uh, a therapist why would I need to know about cybercrime why would I need to know about action fraud so yeah. what what can you tell us about that well cybercrime's the new new when it comes to sort of crime um oh. it's been it's been around for a while you know it's been around since the invention of the computer but it's sort of seen an explosion in the last five to six maybe even ten years time um oh. everyone sort of knows about They've seen it on in movies, on TV about viruses. They've seen it in the news, such large-scale things such as WannaCry, um, when that sort of infected the NHS. However, they don't really realise that it will affect pretty much everyone. Yeah. Um, there's all statistics around there saying you're now much more likely to be a victim of cybercrime than you are burglary. You know, yeah. for example, in action fraud, um, we get roughly between twenty-six to thirty thousand reports a year just for cyber-dependent crime. Um, and this is likely a massive underreporting. That's the people who know that they're a victim and that they need to report to actual fraud. ONS sort of figures have that around 2 million, which is probably much more of an accurate report. So yeah. 2 million people a year are getting fallen victim. And it, it's such a wide-ranging sort of crime type as well. It's not one thing you... When you think of cybercrime, you think of a hacker at his computer behind, you know, infecting the government with sort of viruses. And it does happen, you know, we do have things like ransomware, we have yeah. um, brochures, we have this malware, but we also have sort of phishing, which sort of people will fall victim for a DBLA scam when they get an email in their, their inbox saying that they um, owe vehicle tax to DBLA. Yeah. 
that can be actually be much more worrying for sort of the individual people because they can have their entire life savings wiped out if they type in a few wrong information, uh, a bit of wrong information. But we also got sort of one which are much more emotionally um, sort of um, hard hitting. We've got, you know, things like DDoSs. And I know that most DDoSs will turn on a business, but that can be quite a troubling time for those business owners if they can't get their business back up and running. Mm-hmm. But also for sort of young, the younger audience, if they're playing games, they're playing sort of Call of Duty, Fortnite, they're getting DDoSed by their sort of their rivals or their friends on there, they're getting kicked off. It's sort of crossing over that area of cyber bullying where, um, where you know you've got that whole sort of range of thing when it comes to things like trolling, where it comes to things that sort of that like sort of discusses been beginning that mob mentality online, um, and then obviously you take that one step further, you start to get into sort of some of the more serious things that we do with sort of sextortions um, yes. and sort of that sort of under um, those sort of indecent images of children being spread quite quickly around the web. So sort of that technology has just allowed that to happen so, to such an extent, like. Because we're not, we know that that's always happened. That sort of, you know, kids seeing each other like that. But now it's not just behind a bike shed, so to speak, anymore. It's it's out mm-hmm. on the web. And you can, once it's out, you can't take it back. And a lot of people don't realise that and how quickly it can spread. And yeah. um, just a general lack of sort of wider knowledge, by, mainly by the general public, on how cybercrime can affect you, is quite low at the moment. I know there are campaigns to try and bring that up, and it is slowly sort of starting to raise awareness. But yeah. I think. The, the impact of cybercrime, because a lot of people, when it comes to impact, they just look at money. And although cybercrime, when you're comparing it to sort of other fraud types or other crime types, isn't, you know, it isn't big bucks for a lot of, for a lot of these criminals, but, and the, the losses aren't massive, like you see in sort of some of these pension liberation frauds. However, the psychological impact can be just as devastating as some of them. And especially when it comes to some of the more, you know, sort of what we call sort of the nastier elements of cybercrime, sort of those things like I was talking about sextortions. People are taking their lives. Um, yes. They are committing suicide off the back of this because they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn to either. And they don't know how to report it. And that's where we, we come in sort of that, that action for to actually try and offer these people help. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just thinking that um, I, I understand a lot of the technolo- technology and the, the language that you're using. So if I, if I just for a moment, I'm just going to kind of go back and say, um, so for my profession, whilst um, I have been told that I am uh, over sensationalizing or sensationalistic, um, t- terminology like DDoS, um, what that actually means is that would prevent a therapist actually using their website. And, you know, so for example, if you're a, a therapist with a website and that's how people come and, and find out about you, what a DDoS attack would actually do is, is kind of hijack your website and prevent you getting on. And, and, and that way, nobody would be seeing your website at all. Um, yeah. Then you kind of mentioned about the, the phishing emails. And the reason I think this is really important is that uh, these, these emails are getting so much more yeah. complex and they're becoming very realistic. I, I actually have a number of email addresses so that I can filter out basically the crap that's coming in and quite often the ones that come from my website will come from a mailing list and apple is getting very good at saying you know this has come from a mailing list etc etc but i i look at a lot of these um email images and where they might be copying paypal for instance or a bank the the images that people are using are very very similar to the logos that are used by the companies and that that makes it more likely that somebody will make an error and click on a link. So I think, I think what you, one of the things you're saying here, Jerry, and I'm just thinking the number of people that I see putting posts and memes on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, 
if you get a link from me, don't click it. Um, and it's it's almost like we're trying to tell people not to click on the links rather than educating people about what these links might actually do. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And I think, like you said, these phishing scams, again, so much more sophisticated. And it's not just the actual content of the scam itself, which is getting more sophisticated. The scammers behind them are starting to learn when is the best time to send out sort of a HMRC or tax rebate is due. They sort of send yeah. it out the financial year, the end of the financial year. For example, phishing, um, when it comes to students, student loan phishing scams will come up when phishing, when student loans are meant to come out. Um, they know exactly when to send things out and they jump on the back of actual genuine sort of incidents, for example, data breaches. If a company's had a data breach, these phishing campaigns will jump on the back and send them out to a customer saying, we're company X, please fill in all your details so that we know that you're safe. And you know, if you're, if you're, and if you're worried about something which is happening and you see an email come through saying it's from this legit company and they look the part and, you know, the only sort of mm -hmm. actual evidence that they're not is if you look at actually into the, the technical data behind the email, yeah. um, you're gonna, you know, they are quite easy to fool people, especially if you don't know particularly what you're looking for in the phishing email. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a lot of the times we're seeing now as well, especially in the more extortion emails, is they'll have so they'll have your personal data in it, so they'll have your username and your password um, in this email, and they might even make it look like it's come from your own email, and that's just going to fool the majority of people about that's just come from a breach. They don't know that they just see their password there, that hits home straight away, and that adds that layer of sort of believability to that email. Um, if they just name, even if they just name you, a lot of times it will say hello, then your email address, and you go, okay, maybe they don't know who I am, but um, if they have your actual name and even on your address, your phone number in there, you, you're going to believe that that's a legitimate email. Um, mm -hmm. Again, so smart when it comes to these and again, you know, and they can do them so quickly now as well. They don't need to sort of sit behind their computers and type them out for hours and then they'll just get um, sort of programs which can do it all for them. Um, so anyone can have a go at this as well. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm I'm heading towards in the next question is is actually where it used to be. Um, let's go criminals sat behind a desk typing an email out. There's actually much more uh, sophisticated, complicated software, and you know we're heading into the AI bots that will literally sit in the background and and the machine learning that will produce this this number of emails. And I think the way that I tend to explain this to people is, um, it's a bit like a spider or an octopus. They will send out thousands of emails to thousands of addresses in the hope that there's a vulnerable person at the other end who yeah. will see something become worried or anxious about what's in contained in the email or, or potentially an advert that pops up so i think there's less and less pop-ups now isn't there saying you know your, your computer's going slow i think the the criminals have worked out that's not really the best way to to dra draw people in um so I'm, I'm just thinking about so how do how do we yeah how do we educate people around this and what what do action fraud do so i'm, I'm just thinking about if somebody feels like they've got a, an email a phishing email that's come in what should they do with that um if someone's got a, what they believe to be a phishing email if they haven't interacted with the email um so they just think okay this is very clearly a phishing but i want to do something with it i don't want to just delete and leave it on my inbox they need to what they should be doing is they should be forwarding it onto the nfib um phishing inbox which is nfib phishing at city of london dot pnn dot police dot uk 
Um, what that does, that sends it into this, um, this inbox, which we hold in the phishing, um, sorry, within the NFIP, and we are then able to take down the domain which is holding, posting that email server. Yeah. Um, so then we can start actually bringing these that emails down at source. Um, also, when people send it on to us, we have a much bigger picture. We can see what's happening. We can get targeted alerts out, so we know precisely when to send out alerts so that most people can see, and we can use things like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook um, to get our message just saying we've seen a number of people reporting this email please don't interact with it we know it's a sort of a scam yeah so what would yeah i'm just thinking about obviously bearing in mind that um we're not going to go too much into detail what what do you do when uh, you get reports coming in so if you could just kind of really educate people in terms of what what action fraud do so maybe with a case study if you can jerry yeah so in, uh, in terms of cybercrime when we get a report into action fraud um, what we'll do is we'll we'll look at it. Um, we'll try and figure out exactly what has happened. Um, a lot of the time, the person who is the victim might not know fully what's happened, but I just know that something bad happens. Um, so they might say, I'm losing a lot of money from my bank account, or my computer's frozen, I've got this ransom demand on the screen saying I have to pay Bitcoin. Um, so what we'll do is we'll take all that information, we'll try and um, elicit more information out of the victim if need be as well, to try and get things like Bitcoin wallets, we'll try and get things like email addresses, which they might just see as sort of strings of letters and numbers, but that's actually really important information for anyone trying to investigate. And yeah. then what we'll do is we'll put this all together, we'll, we'll, um, we'll see if we have any other suspect details for this person, have they been in previous reports, um, do there anything else linked to it, have we, any other countries seen this sort of stuff? Um, and then we'll um, send it out to a police force, um, basically saying, this is what's happened, this is what needs to be done, this is the victim, this is the suspect. And yeah. then they'll actually get around to that victim's house, potentially even take that victim's advice to sort of then actually get that investigation going back on, um, going back further, seeing who actually may be accessing that victim's device. Um, yeah. And also at the same time providing um, protected advice to the victim saying this is how this happened, this is how you can stop it happening in the future, which can be just as valuable as the actual sort of law enforcement, traditional investigation, trying yeah. to stop that person becoming a victim again. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just thinking about um, like the people, the people reporting and, and kind of the crimes and so on. So what, what I picked out of your sentence there that I'm going to kind of hone in on is people may not know. So yes. I think this is this is the biggest part when I'm when I'm trying to explain to people. So right at the beginning, you kind of mentioned there's DDoS in phishing, malware hacking, blah blah blah. Right. So I'm I kind of sit and go, okay. So I know what all of those are, and if one of those events was to happen to me, I'd probably recognise it because not only do I understand the terminology, I understand what it is that's actually occurred. So in terms of the general public what is there is there a way that they could find out what all the different types of cybercrime are or how to report it to action fraud um i will put that email um link in in the show notes as well so that when this podcast goes out people can actually then use that to report it to um action fraud yeah. um but I, i'm just thinking about the general public how do how do they find out what it is that's happened to them you know yeah, so there are there are um, there are websites out there mainly. There's um, the actual fraud website itself because I've quite a lot of detail around the different types of cyber crimes and sort of what to look out for when you're actually trying to look for them. As well as the um, National Cyber Security Centre's website, they have, they go into a bit more technical detail about the different types of crime. But there are um, other sort of help um, websites out there. So there's the Cyber Helpline, 
which um, is a sort of you can interact with um, humans and actually tell them what's happened and then someone will pick it out and then try to help you through the process of actually reporting it to us. Um, the cyber awareness, the Take 5 campaigns, um, yeah. there, is, there is information out there on what cybercrime is, how, what it looks like and how to deal with it, how to report it. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of it is online at the moment. So if you're not going online to find this, it is relatively hard to find that. And yeah. there is you know, literature and stuff out there, but again, it's not the most present. And that is slowly starting to change. That's prevention advice um, for um, yeah. cybercrime is out there. I remember a few years ago, they had Cyber Streetwise adverts on the tube. Um, yeah cat in the mouth just simple things simple take-home messages which people could adopt into their daily lives which would drastically reduce their chance of becoming um, victims of cyber crime such as having you know strong passwords um, is the one that everyone always harks back to and that would cut out so much of the sort of the cyber crime we see is just mm -hmm. uh, just simple messages so i think taking sort of obviously people don't need to know how a ransomware works or you know, the ins and outs of a DDoS, they just need to know basically how to spot one and what to do when it does happen. Um, and again, that's sort of the things like the Action Pool website, the NCSC's website, um, and sort of the cyber helpline. Um, I think they're the best for that. Yeah. I one thing I do want to kind of put in with this is cyber would actually also include. So I'm just thinking about the conversations that we had at the uh, the police conference where where you were speak where I first met you actually. Um, the the fact is is actually cyber covers much much more than just your computer, and I think people often forget this. It covers your your smartphone, social media, your phone. Uh, there's lots and lots of ways people can be um, got at and and yeah. you know, manipulated and so on and so forth. So. I, I was just thinking then that whilst there are a lot of information online in terms of um, short videos and there's there's more adverts, so I'm just thinking about Barclays are doing a whole set of adverts at the moment, yeah. um, and theirs have been really good. But what I do find is is people then don't generalise in terms of, oh, well, that would apply to not only me and my email, but that would apply to me, my email, my website, my logins, my et cetera, et cetera. So this is about... Um, you know these these simple messages i wonder how we can make them more generalizable um that being psychological terminology there um but there's also something about how do we yeah how do we engage people in this cyber conversation i uh, yeah i get excited by what is a ddos how does it work what is a malware how does it work da, 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 da. but i think that that's because i'm a geek and my background is <laughs> but I, i'm just thinking for most users of facebook so i'm just thinking my friends list here they're not geeks they don't always have this approach or interest into how do i protect myself online then they're not always sure what two-factor authentication is etc etc yeah so every time i think of that things like that i always think was what would my mum do um and yeah. not being rude to my mum i always think how can i get this message across to my mum she's not yeah. technological but you know she has Facebook, she has a Twitter account, she has an email account, she has online banking accounts. Um, and then trying to get these messages across things like password security, 2FA, two-factor authentication, and how important it is, especially when it comes to things like her email account, because a lot of the time she's like, yeah, I've got the strongest password on my bank account. However, her email account, it sort of doesn't have, or she might have the same password on an email, she might have the same password here, there, and everywhere. Mm -hmm. I always see basically is the, your email account, I'm trying to explain to her, is sort of your wallet. 
you have everything inside that email account. If you lose your email account, they're going to get into your Facebook. They're going to get into your bank account. I was like, you really, really need to be protecting your email account. And that's one of the messages we try to get across to people is, you know, if someone hacks your Facebook, it's going to be the end of your world for a few hours, for a few days, maybe. However, if they get into your email account, they get into your bank account, that's the end of your account for a long time. And you might not be able to recover from that. Um, so we always try to, that's the one take home message we always try to give to people. It's just, what is the most important thing to you? Is it your Facebook or is it your money? Is it your emails? And trying to try and get that across, like you have to be just as careful online as you have in the real world. So my mom double locks the door and sets an alarm when she goes out. You know, why aren't you doing that on your computer? You've got just as much valuable stuff on there. Yes. Um, yeah. Getting that message across to people is what's proving difficult at the moment because I think, especially in the cyber world, I know it happens to people in the real world, but there's that it won't happen to me mentality. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a really strong password on my email. You know, I've got it's got numbers and letters in it. It's got capitals. Yeah, but it might just be your favourite football team with the O's replaced as zeros. It's going to take a computer seconds to figure that out. You know, I think people need to realise, like we were, you mentioned earlier, it's not just people sitting behind a screen anymore. Um, it's, it's become a mainstream crime. It's AI is taking over. You've got mm-hmm. uh, cybercrime as a service being offered out to people as well. People can just buy these kits. Um, you just need to know where to find it, really. Okay, so I am going to definitely jump on, apart from the fact for those that will be listening, so uh, this this will go out on the, the podcast audio, I was enthusiastically nodding, like like one of those dogs in the back of the car then going, yep, 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 which has just kind of taken me to that point that um, this is not sensationalism, Jerry. You are not making this shit up, right? No. <laughs> I'm saying that. Oh, <laughs> The reason I'm saying that is because um, I think in terms of email, and I'm just going to stick with my profession for a moment, um, as I said to you, in terms of this sensationalism, the reason I think this is so important is because many psychotherapists and counsellors and and people who work with uh, sensitive cases of information, um, we have email systems. And more often than not, a client who has never met us before tends to send us an email with a huge amount of personal information in so there's two things going on for me here at the moment the first one is one that's my email that could get hacked so i'm just thinking on the terms of if i don't protect my email system properly my email account could be hacked and my details could be taken but not only that there is also then this personally identifiable information at a great depth about the potential client or the client that I'm already seeing. And and for me as a psychotherapist, this is why I've been trying to educate my profession is it's it, this is serious. This is really, really serious. And this is not about um, me being sensationalism. This is me saying, actually, if your account gets hacked, you've got a data breach, which puts you under a lawful aspect with the ICO. But secondly, that's your career, your bank statements, your your Facebook logins. It's everything that's about you as a therapist that could then be taken and manipulated. And this isn't about the dark net for once. I'm not talking about what would happen in terms of the dark net, which most most often that's what people say to me. Oh, but this is the dark net. No, it isn't. This is this is <laughs> this is more sent front at center front and center than anything else. And I think the statement you used there was you might have a couple of hours on Facebook where your life feels like it's over, but actually your email is your passport to your life. Yeah, definitely. 
if your if your email goes, especially um, for example within sort of the, the therapist world, where um, yeah, that's where you're mainly contacting with most of your clients, mm -hmm. and it might not just be that initial email you said; it might be follow-up emails as well. They're sort of going like you said; they're going into massive amounts of details, yes. and it's yeah. not they're just asking how your day was. They're going to be going into very sensitive topics. Um, if that goes, that well, A, like you said, that's a GDPR issue. That's, you know, you're then going to have sort of law enforcement on your case as well. But that's also, you then massively breached the trust that you've built up with that, that, um, yeah. that, um, that victim or that client. How can you then expect them to come back to you? How can you expect anyone to then trust you to, you know, handle their cases without them having yeah. their, their deepest sort of, um, deepest feelings exposed to everyone? Um, and like you said, it's not just the dark net. This is this is very easily findable information on the yeah. light net, um, um, on sort of the dot com websites. Um, easy to find this stuff. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> people think, oh, you know, people don't want my stuff, but they go for pennies. This stuff, they don't they don't cost anything because they just buy it in bulk. And that's yeah. all, that's you're just a name, you're just a number next to it, next to an amount of money. How much this is going to cost? And if they've got that additional information on you, yeah, all the, the price goes up how much it costs, but that person who's buying it has got that much insider information and that you're going to put that person in a massive risk later on down the line um, yes. to sort of follow yeah. up for us. Um, they've got so much information that even if they know that there's been a data breach, they've got that amount of information that whoever's on this phone has to know who I am because they have that much information. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm going to trust them with that. They know where I live, they know my phone numbers, they know, you know, when I've been to see my therapist and everything, they know my bank card details. They must be legit. Um, and that's the worry when sort of people don't take it so seriously when they've got other people's data. Because, yeah, I know that, you know, if your bank account details are taken, you know, it's terrible for you, but if you've got then client details all over there, yes. and, you know, say some people are up to, you know, thousands of client details on there, they're gone, then you're in, you know, you're entering a whole world of sort of new different pain mm -hmm. levels there for them. Um, people who are probably already under a great amount of stress to start with and anxiety to start with, and you're just throwing this on top of it, it's just gonna, you know, it's not ever gonna end in a good scenario there. Yeah, and I think that's that's my major concern is not uh, not only do we have the therapist and I'm doing kind of like a visual thing again, which I'm going to explain for people listening. This is like that cocktail syndrome, you know, with the um, champagne glasses and the tertiary system. Actually, it's not just the therapist that's that's attacked at the top through the email system. There's lots of other information that might well be gleaned. And uh, so recently I've written an article which has gone out on um, Counselors Cafe, which is um, like an online magazine that goes to therapists. But again, it isn't going across the board to uh, membership bodies. It's not going across the board to, you know, from from the top down. So there are a whole heap of people who are unaware of this level of uh, need for cybersecurity training, um, for understanding what email systems are. So this is one of the things that I do teach in terms of not only GDPR, because it's much, much more than that. But this is why um, I ended up setting up the Privacy 4 standard, because actually this is about saying to people, take your privacy seriously, but also take the privacy and the confidentiality of any potential person who's contacting you seriously. And that means you've got to put certain measures in place, one, that are preventative, two, that also you can then say to people, OK, so this system was in place. And it turns out that, you know, for example, the new algorithm from the machine learning bot has decided 
that it managed to hack my password because there we were. I'd gone, I don't know, like you said, the football team, and I'd actually changed it, and and it managed to use an algorithm in the background and hack that password. So what I'm going to do is I'm now going to change this, this, and this, but it gives me a platform to say to people, look, I did the best that I could to put everything in place rather than, well, yeah, I had a, I had an email system where I had password one, two, three. Yeah. And I think it's the same, like we mentioned the burglar sort of terminology before. Mm. Burglar comes up to your house and you've got nothing there. And then there's a burglar next door has got a uh, burglar alarm on the front of the house. So they're going to go, they're just going to move on to the next one. You know, these people aren't going to wait around. You know, they're going to go for the easy targets. If you put yeah. in place sort of two-factor authentication, and strong password sort of management systems, they're just going to move on to the next person who has it. And trust me, as bad it is, there are a lot of people who don't have that in place. So they're, they're not going to wait around is the harder it is to crack. Um, you know, if you're not using known words like football teams or countries or names, um, then you're starting to move away from them using odd combinations of words together. Um, or just having or a lot of the time that we sort of talk about passwords, having the three different letters at the start of the password, followed by the, your actual password, and those three letters determine what website you're going on to. For example, the Facebook password would be FAC, followed by your password. Um, that just changes your password for each thing, but it's really easy for you to remember. Yeah. Um, or the other one we do is use a phrase as a password, but use the first letter of each of that phrase. So it can be, if you know, if you wanted to keep it in that football team, so sort of if that's all you can remember, having mm -hmm. your favourite teams like their number one charm, um, but just use the first letter of each of those words, and then you've got random letters and numbers next to each other, it makes it much again much harder to crack, especially if it's long. It always work, you know, people can get past these sort of things, but it's a deterrent, and a lot of the times the deterrents work. So just yeah. so don't let it be you, basically. Yes, there are actually there's some uh, brilliant psychology books that I think I might have talked about one of these before. I, I tend to use um, uh, a password app, uh, which obviously has the master password that goes into it. And then it's kind of hidden behind um, also a set of. And I've, I've actually used that from my computer to my iPhone. And it's a way of me making sure that a I don't have to remember all of my passwords. And uh, it just it just means that. I then really only have to remember one major password. Mm. So it would need somebody to hack into my computer, then into the app, and then from the app into each individual system. So yeah. it's, a, it's, it's like not just locking the door, it's then like putting a bolt on it. And then from the bolt, you've then got a burglar alarm and behind the burglar alarm, you've got a dog and behind, you know, it's, it's as much as I can do to protect it because I'm aware that, you know, it's, it's almost like a sandcastle. One, one big wave will knock it all over, but actually yeah. it's about providing myself with structure and knowing that that's what I'm doing in terms of trying to protect myself. But I, I'm just thinking about, in terms of my Facebook friends here, um, what I might be doing actually is sharing this on my Facebook account for the people who don't understand cyber, cyber world technology, because I think that the, the prefixes that we use as well, digital, cyber, technology, that, that seems to be like the switch off for a lot of people. <laughs> it, like I've said, cyber is not sexy. <laughs> not to the most people. <laughs> no. Um, do, you, do you have kind of some stats that you could possibly, before, before we come to an end, actually, Jerry, do you think there's some stats that people might want to, to listen to? But I'm just thinking about how will this how will this work? Will people be scaremongered by this? Will they kind of take this seriously, 
uh, you know, this is this is where do we go with this? I think I don't think sort of some of these stats will be scaremongers because they are the stats. It's not I'm yeah. making it up. The most common type of cybercrime we get reported to us natural fraud is email and social media hacking by far. Yeah. Um, you know, I think last year we've gotten over 15,000, right at the top of the show, that's a massive understatement of how many there actually are. There's mm -hmm. going to be at least 10 to maybe even 15, 20 times that number, easily. Yeah. Yep. It's a problem. It's not going anywhere. It's only going to get worse. Um, and if that's the sort of take-home message that you want, it's, it's going to get worse and it will happen. It's not an if it's going to happen. It's a when will it happen. Um, and I think Again, stats is so the large proportion of these crimes can be avoided if people just took a few extra minutes to think about what they're doing when it comes to their security around online. Just again, we keep going back to it strong passwords, 2FA authentication. Yes, um, it's just little things which they're not the most difficult in the world. And I know people hear 2FA or 2 they, they panic, they go, what's that? And they go, I'm never going to remember this big, long password. But that's why you have techniques to remember these passwords. So I was talking about, you know, three random words, like um, the official um, came out. You can remember these three words. You can remember um, the first line of a song, for example. Um, they're not difficult. You don't have to come up with random letters and numbers everywhere. You just let something which isn't so easy for someone else to think of. Yeah. That's is, you know, there are big stats, you know, we talk about this 25 to 30,000 a year, and the vast majority of that are not from businesses, they're from general members of the public, individuals. Um, and they are, a lot of these times, these people are quite, can be quite vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, and I think something that's to take home, it, is, it isn't when, it's not an if this is going to happen. You know, the, yes. the exposure yeah. we've seen in recent years, we've seen over 100% increase in the last five years in the number of reports. And it does, it's not slowing down in the slightest. Um, and I think it's, yeah. it's getting bigger, it's getting worse, it's getting more common. Um, and people need to stay ahead of the curve. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, all around the world have been behind the curve recently. Um, they start need to catching up and getting ahead of it. And I think that's the only way is the human element of this will always be ahead of the technological element. There's always going to be that weak link in the chain. And if we can rule out the human being the weak link in the chain, see that number dramatically decrease. Well, I've just picked about four different titles for the podcast through what you've just been saying, actually, because I was thinking, oh, yeah, when will it happen? That might be something about... So there might be a really long title that goes out with this because I think <laughs> Behind the Curve was really... Yeah, I... I'll tell you what, I will email you the name of uh, the name of the podcast once I'm done. Um, but yeah, I think that's exactly where we're at. And I'm going to hold it there, actually, and say that, that that's actually where we'll finish for today, Jerry, because I do happen to be talking to Rory from the Cyber Helpline next. So there's something about, and what do we do when it happens? So yeah. I think that we might we might have, when will it happen? And then uh, I'm just thinking the one with Rory will be something about, now it's happened, now what? So yeah. that, might, that, might, that might be a brilliant place to end. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you for persevering with your technical issues at the beginning. That was my thought. Thanks so much for having me on. That's um, because you work where you work. And obviously you had quite a few barriers to get around before we could even just start doing the simple um, just talking. So yeah. 
and had to rely on a transport for London as well this morning. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thank thank you so much then, Jerry. And and you know, I'm I'm going to stay in touch because I think there's much much more that I can do in terms of uh, chatting with you and getting information from action fraud to my profession, um, possibly putting it into a lot in towards the standard actually, because um, the the standard is about exactly this. It's about how do you protect yourself and how do you do it as succinctly and securely as possible. Um, yeah, so I've got quite a few names. I will say for those that are interested, there's a book by Daniel Levitin, uh, The Organised Mind, I think it's called. And in that book, he talks about how to remember passwords. And it's similar, you know, you you have a sentence for, you know, uh, I usually drink 10 cups of coffee and that you might use that as the sentence to make your password up. Um, but obviously, you've got to remember which password you put where, which is why I say, why have a dog and bark yourself? Go and get an app that is um, robust. So always check that the app you're going to use as well has good security standards. Um, there, there's a bit of work for people to do, actually, isn't there? Yeah, it's a bit of, bit of homework that people need to do. Yeah. But once they've done it, and it's not too taxing, but once it's done, it's worth it in the long run. Yeah. Um, it'll make their lives so much easier. Yes. And it's that protecting from when will it happen. Yeah. As, as best as you can. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, thank you very much. Um, I did say, did say we were finishing, so I'm going to make sure we do now because I have a habit of going on. So I shall just leave it there. And uh, thank you very much, Jerry, for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. This podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer. <laughs>